we are going to take a one-week detour from Revelation. And, you know, as I thought about what we're going to study this morning, I thought, you know, we're not into bait and switch, but if we told you what you were going to get when you got here, you might not have come. <laughs> so I'm glad you're here, and it's going to be a good morning. Uh, we're going to jump around in your Bibles just a little bit this morning, cover about three passages of Scripture, but you can be turning to Matthew 28, because we're going to be talking about the Great Commission. We're going to be talking about the charge, the task that we've all been given to be witnesses for the Lord. Some of you guys will remember, just a few years ago, we had an event here at Lenexa Baptist that was titled Living the Dream. And we had a great guest speaker for that event named Pastor Neil Jeffrey. Pastor Neil is part of the preaching team at Prestonwood Baptist Church, which is located in Plano, Texas. And if you're not familiar with Prestonwood, Prestonwood is one of the largest churches in the country and, and uh, do a lot of great things, Southern Baptist Church. But before Neil became a pastor and became part of that preaching team, he was also a star athlete. He won a state championship in football in, in the state of Texas. He became uh, the starting quarterback at Baylor University. And he was an All-American quarterback at Baylor, even had a short uh, career in the NFL. And those are all impressive accomplishments, wouldn't you say? I mean, those are things that just aren't run-of-the-mill deals. But as Neil shared that evening, the miracle of his life wasn't really in his accomplishments. It was in what he had had to overcome to enjoy those accomplishments. You see, Pastor Neil Jeffrey had struggled and has struggled his entire life with severe stuttering. Now, you really don't have to know a whole lot about football to know if you've got a quarterback that stutters severely, it's going to cause some problems. You've probably been in enough churches to know that if you go to a church and the pastor that's preaching has a severe case of stuttering, that's going to be a bit of a challenge too, isn't it? But as Neil shared with us, through all of that, he simply learned to rely on God. And his message to our men that evening was that no matter what your limitations, no matter what fears you have or what you struggle with, the reality is God is always bigger and God always has a plan. You know, really, no matter where you are in life, no matter what trials or pain you may be going through or you are struggling against, that timeless truth remains. No matter what your situation or your circumstance, God is always bigger and God always has a plan. Would you just say that with me this morning? God is always bigger and God always has a plan. Okay, now the other half of you join us, okay? <laughs> we'll go slow. God is always bigger and God always has a plan. You know, and the reality is, as we study God's word, we consistently see that often God's big plan involves his people being ready and willing to do two simple things. First, to be obedient to what he asks them to do, and second, to do everything they can to point people to Jesus. Witnessing really should be the most prestigious job that we could even imagine. It should be the most rewarding thing that we can be involved in, and yet we struggle, don't we? 
we often hesitate. We draw back. We stutter. And we end up missing the opportunities that God has put before us. People are scared of a lot of different things. I, I did a quick uh, search just to see what people are most scared of, and you've probably done the same thing. Uh, believe it or not, public speaking is at the top, so you can't see it, but my knees are knocking together right now. Uh, public speaking, number one, death is right up there. Uh, spiders, fear, fear of the darkness. My fear, snakes. In fact, I don't even like to say the word snakes. I usually go by serpents because it's just a little easier for me. A couple weeks ago when Pastor Chad was talking about that whole room of snakes and people go in there and lay down hoping to be healed, I thought I was going to have to leave the room. I, I Man, I'm scared to death of those things. But sometimes we're scared of things that we shouldn't be scared of. We're afraid of things that God has already taken care of. And so this morning, as we focus on this task of witnessing, I think we all need to be reminded that we can push our fears aside because God is always bigger and God always has a plan. And we really have nothing to fear. So if you've turned in your Bible to Matthew 28, we're going to read a familiar passage of Scripture as we begin this morning by talking about this command that we all share. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's Word, and we're going to read Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20 together. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You may be seated. You know, really, if you look at the components that make up the Great Commission, they're pretty straightforward. We're to make disciples. We're to share our faith, make disciples. We're to baptize them. We're to teach them just as Jesus taught us. But the accomplishment of any or all of those things really begins, they're really contingent on the first word that Jesus spoke, he told us to go. That word go is an action verb, as we know. It indicates that action's required. And if we dig just a little bit deeper, what we discover is that the word translated go in our English Bibles really carries not just one, but two very important meanings, two very important applications. Most obvious from a missional perspective, that command is to take the gospel to the world. Jesus said, go to all nations. As the mission pastor here, I often share with you, this morning Pastor Kent shared with you, about opportunities to go on mission trips. Trips that will allow you to engage in the process of making disciples in other cultures. Through the years, hundreds maybe even thousands of people from Lenexa Baptist have been willing to go, go to places like Nicaragua, Romania, Asia, Canada, India, Mexico, Costa Rica, Haiti, the Dominican Republic, and many, many others. But while there's certainly an international flavor to the Great Commission, it certainly isn't a command that's exclusive to international ministries. We must reach our own people too, our cities, our neighbors, our communities. Pastor Steve Barnes leads our I Share Hope initiative and provides opportunities nationally, regionally, and locally for you to be involved 
in missions right here uh, close to home. The command is to go. And we try to give you as many opportunities as we possibly can for you to fulfill that mission and point people to Jesus. But there's a second meaning that can be uh, accurately applied to that word go as well. And it's at least equally important as the first understanding that we just talked about. If we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, if we're going to fully embrace the Great Commission, that word can also be understood as as you go or as you are going. Embracing the Great Commission is not just something that you schedule for a couple of weeks during the year. It's not just taking a mission trip and, and checking that off the list and saying, okay, I'm done witnessing until next year when I go somewhere else. It just doesn't work that way. It's a command that's meant to be lived out. In fact, lived out daily. We're to be on mission as we're going, as we're working. As we're shopping, as we're playing, and generally as we're living. Pointing people to Jesus has to become part of our everyday life and of every part of our life as well. And that's where things get difficult, isn't it? That's where the challenge lies. It's always curious to me that someone will fly thousands of miles to another part of the world where they don't speak the same language to tell somebody that they've never seen before and will likely never see again this side of heaven about Jesus. But that same person is absolutely frozen in place by the fear or the thought of just walking across the street to have a conversation, a God conversation, with their neighbor. To fully embrace the Great Commission you have to be willing to go, and you have to be willing to become an as-you're-going witness for the Lord. So how do we overcome these fears? How do we get beyond the anxiousness that tends to, to tie us in knots? How do we find the boldness that it takes to strike up a conversation anytime, anywhere, with anyone that hopefully will point them at least a little bit closer to Jesus? Well, I believe it begins by claiming the same truth that we began with. That same truth that Neil Jeffrey shared with our men applies to our act of witnessing. We must surrender those fears. And the reality is that the way to do that is to grab a hold tightly of that promise that God is always bigger. And God always has a plan. And certainly, the Great Commission is a big part of his plan. Now flip back just a few pages to Acts 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to read verse 8 in just a moment. Jesus now is about to ascend into heaven. He's about to leave his disciples, and he's giving them their final instructions, their final marching orders. Acts 1.8, he tells them, but you shall, be, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know, I, I picture Jesus. He knows he's, he's getting ready to leave these guys. He left them one time before, but he came back, and he's going to come back again, but, but he's, he's about ready to leave them on their own for, their, for a long period of time. And I bet as he looked into their faces, 
he saw the same fear that we just talked about. The same anxiousness. The same desperation of, whoa, 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 where are you going? Can't you stay a little longer? And what does he do? He reassures them basically with the same promise that I just shared with you. He says that when the time comes, they're going to receive all the power that they need. They're going to receive all the strength that they need. And they're going to be able to do what he has asked them to do. He's telling them, you know what, guys? I'm going to leave, but God is always bigger. And God always has a plan that you can trust. And he's encouraging them to fall in line with that plan. Acts 1.8 is really the greatest motivational speech that's ever been given. It's the best pregame speech that's ever been delivered. And it's meant to free us up to do more than we believe we can on our own. And it's, it's, may, it's meant to give us the confidence that even though things may seem impossible, everything is possible through the Lord. The book of Acts is really the story of how it turned the disciples' doubt into determination. You know, if you look at the early chapters of Acts where the disciples are hiding in a room, man, they, they, don't, they don't know what to do. They're, they're fearful. But after the Holy Spirit comes to them and they receive that power, you can't shut them up for anything. They're so determined to share what they've seen and what they've been commanded to do. Being Christ's witness, it's not about having some perfect presentation. You know, there's lots of ways to share the gospel. They're all good because they all communicate the right things. It's not about some special words that you have to use. It's not about having all the answers. Listen, if, if you got to have all the answers to be effective, I'm in big trouble because I know right now I don't have all the answers. And neither do you. But I'll tell you what else you can't do. You can't save anybody. Your words are not what's going to make a difference. It's your obedience that puts people in a position that the Holy Spirit can work on them. It's your willingness to speak up and speak out that allows the Holy Spirit to penetrate their heart. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one that saves them anyway. In his classic devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers wrote, A missionary is useful, and he does have a place in winning the loss, but that's not his goal. His goal is to do the will of the Lord, to be obedient to God's call and to God's command. And that should be exactly where we are as well. So let me just ask you, before we go any further, are you willing to go and be a witness for Christ? Are you willing to trust that God is indeed bigger than your own fears and that God's plan is something that you want to be a part of? It begins when we embrace the Great Commission, the command we all share. But the second thing I want to talk to you about is that it's also a call that changes our perspective. It has the power to literally change the way we see our own situation because we're so focused on something more worthwhile. You see, I've got a hunch that just saying that promise, God is always bigger and God always has a plan, some of you are still a little skeptical about your own ability to do this. Words are nice, promises are certainly nice, but wouldn't it be nice if we could see a real example of how this all works? If we could have a real illustration of what Jesus' promise really looks like if someone is just willing to step out on faith. Well, we just happen to have one. 
And you just have to flip back a few more pages to Acts chapter 8 to find it. It's the story of a man named Philip. Philip was one of the disciples. He was there when Jesus gave that pep talk that we just talked about. And he became a disciple who was determined to live out the calling that God had placed on his life no matter what. As we begin, Philip is in Jerusalem along with the other disciples. And they are doing, man, they have just been caught up in the excitement of what God's doing. They've received the Holy Spirit. They're out there preaching and witnessing and sharing. They, man, they, they just, they're all over it. The gospel is literally spreading like wildfire. But where the gospel thrives, what almost always follows? Persecution, right? And so it has gotten the attention and stirred the anger of a Jewish terrorist named Saul. Look at verse 3. Acts 8, 3. It says, Saul made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord headed, uh, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So literally, overnight probably, we see all of this excitement turn into a very ugly scene of persecution. It would be very similar to what we've seen played out on the news of late in Afghanistan, where people are literally put into a life or death situation all because of their faith, all because they have called on the name of Jesus. Philip and his Christian brethren are suddenly threatened by extreme persecution. They're, they're thrown out of their normal life. They're being forced out of their homes, out of their jobs, separated from friends or family. Philip left Jerusalem, but he, it wasn't like he, had, he was going on a mission trip. The dude was running for his life. He grabbed what he could grab and had to get out the door and off to safety. Driven from his home by people who were determined to literally stamp out Christianity altogether. But despite this extreme persecution, despite the hardship that he was having to live through, Philip and others, according to the passage, remained faithful to what they were committed to. They trusted the power of the Holy Spirit, and they trusted the truth that indeed God is always bigger, and God always has a plan. So he escapes Jerusalem, and he heads north, and he would have crossed over into Judea. And verse 4 confirms that as he was going, he just continued to point people to Christ. He was faithful as he journeyed from Judea, and then he crossed over into Samaria. You See, if we're going to fully embrace the Great Commission... You have to come to a personal understanding that your own circumstances, your own situation, even the persecution that you're going through doesn't give you a pass to stop doing what God has called you to do. In fact, often it's when life is at its most difficult times, when we are going through the hardest times of our lives, whether they're health or finances or, or persecution because of our faith, it's then that our testimony becomes the most powerful. 
It's then that people will listen the most intently. Philip had every right to go into hiding. Every right to lay low. Every right to back off of what he was doing. But he didn't do those things. He kept his focus on the mission. And it changed his perspective of his own circumstance. You know how that works. You know, when something is really hard, when something that you're going through is so difficult, you don't even know that you can bear it. And then you turn your attention to spiritual things. You begin reading your Bible. You begin praying more intently. You begin focusing on how God might use the situation. All of a sudden, your perspective on that situation changes dramatically, doesn't it? You know, we used to sing that little chorus. Now, don't tell Pastor Chad that I used a song because he'll think I took this idea. We used to sing that little chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what Philip did. He didn't let anything get in the way. He just kept plugging forward. He just kept pointing people to Christ. We look around today and things are tough. And I'm pretty convinced, and I know many of you are too, they're only going to get tougher in the days ahead for Christians, for followers of Christ. We can see the persecution that's coming. It's coming closer every single day. The question is, are you going to allow your circumstance to dictate your faith and your witness, or are you going to believe and embrace the reality that now more than ever, we need to be pointing people to Christ because they need to see what they don't even know about yet. Jesus will take care of the hard work if we'll just step out on faith and do it. So embracing the Great Commission, it begins with this command that we all share. You can't get out of it. He gave it to all of us. It, it continues with a call that literally can change our perspective about things. And finally, let's conclude by talking about a commitment that breaks down barriers. It was one thing for Philip to be a strong witness in Jerusalem. You know, he kind of had home field advantage there, if you know what I'm saying. He, he, he was comfortable there. Well, he probably got a little less comfortable when he crossed over in Judea. But that was still acceptable, and he kept doing. But let me tell you, by the time he got to Samaria, he was entering a whole other world. This was a completely different culture, completely different setting than anything he'd known before. Samaria was a place that the Jews would avoid at all costs. Samaria was desolate. Samaria was dangerous. And to most people... The Samaritans represented the lowest rung on the food chain. Jews would be quick to differentiate themselves from Gentiles. But Jews wouldn't even go as far as to say the Samaritans ranked to be a Gentile. No, they were off the chart as far as their social status. You know, I've been to a lot of places around the world, uh, taking teams and sharing excuse me, sharing the gospel. And I've learned that no matter where you go, there's always a people group that even the Christians have a hard time with. Even the Christians can't really tolerate certain cultural people groups. If you go to Romania, 
you quickly learn they don't want anything to do with the gypsies. You know, I, I've, I've worked with uh, interpreters that are solid believers, that are on fire and want, a, want a opportunities to share their faith and to, and to learn more about how, share, how to share their faith. And then you point at somebody and say, hey, let's go, let's go talk to that person. And they will quickly turn their head away and say, that's a gypsy. And they'll begin walking the other way. In the Dominican Republic, often it's Haitians. They don't want anything to do with Haitians. They don't want to witness to Haitians. And I think if you and I are really honest with ourselves, there's probably certain people or certain people groups that we personally struggle to interact with. That we personally struggle to point to Jesus as if we had some say-so in whether they deserve that or not. And it's all because of their cultural differences. Philip was forced to take refuge in a hostile territory. But it didn't stop him. It didn't even slow him down from being the witness that he'd been called to be. And even in Samaria, he relied on the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel. And as he did, and he could just see the cultural barriers fall down before him. Verse 8 says that there was great joy in the city. Verse 12 says that men and women were being baptized. It seems that this revival was so great that when the news got back to Jerusalem, Peter and John, they had to come see what was going on. What in the world has Philip got going on in Samaria because they were so amazed at the work that God was doing? Philip had to feel like one blessed dude, don't you think? I mean, everything he touched was turning to gold. Everywhere he went, people were being saved. But as we continue the story, he was about to learn what I think you'll learn if you truly embrace the Great Commission that sometimes God's big plan takes some turns that we just can't anticipate and we would never expect. We just can't understand them. Look at Acts 8, 26. 8, 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza and into the desert. There's no question Philip's walk of faith up until this point had been a bit of a winding road. He'd had to react to things. He had to change his, his life plan, but he was faithful to do so. But let me tell you, there was no way anyone could have anticipated what was coming next. I think it, there is one of the amplified translations that actually says Philip looked at the angel with that deer in the headlights look and said, wait, what? Go where? Do what? I mean, Philip had to wonder, why in the world, God, would you want me to leave such a fertile spiritual ground here where people are being saved and being baptized and lives are being changed and go to the desert? What could this be all about? You know, I honestly don't know what I would have done. You see, I believe that too often... We miss the opportunities that God sends us to point people to Jesus because God asks us to do things that don't fit our plan, that don't fit 
our expectation of what the right thing to do or what the necessary thing to do might be. Philip likely didn't expect that the Samaritans would be so receptive and that they would get saved in such a miraculous way. And now he was headed for an even greater adventure, an even greater unknown, simply because God told him to do so. The bottom line is, his obedience would result in a divine appointment that would change part of the world forever. How? Well, you see, God is always bigger. And God always has a plan. Look at verse 27. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near to overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent. He, he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at that scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road they came to some water and the eunuch said, See here water, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he was baptized. So how big and how complete was God's plan for Philip? Well, he gets to the middle of nowhere, doesn't know what his assignment is, just knows he's supposed to go. He gets there, and of all people, he sees an aristocrat from Ethiopia riding through the desert in his fully equipped BMW chariot. Oh, and he just happens to be reading the Bible. When he sees him, he's reading the scripture. Well, what's he reading? Oh, he, he's reading the prophecy of Isaiah, specifically about the perfect Lamb of God, sent as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Your sins, my sins, and most importantly, the sins of a rich, educated, and influential Ethiopian man. All Philip had to do was be obedient to go. And the power of the Holy Scripture took care of every detail. Every detail. At each step along the way. And you know what? Whether you want to trust it or not, the same will be true for you. The same will be true for all of us. God will go before us. God will give us the strength and the power to do what he's asked us to do if we're just willing to go. It's really hard to determine how much time elapsed 
through those events of Acts 8, but certainly wasn't very long. A few weeks, maybe, a couple of months, don't know, but, but certainly it happened in a fairly concise period. And yet, in just that short period of time, we're given a perfect picture of how one man can live out the charge that Jesus has given to every disciple, including this man named Philip. You remember what Acts 1.8 said? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Philip heard that pep talk. He heard that motivational speech in Jerusalem. And indeed, he was a, a witness in Jerusalem. Persecution made him leave Jerusalem. He crossed over into Judea. He continued to point people to Jesus. He continued to see the fruit of God's Spirit. He wound up in Samaria of all places, the places that nobody wanted to go. And he saw the gospel change an entire people group. He then left that success because God asked him to. He went to a place that nobody would go on their own into the desert to point one influential and powerful man to Jesus and that man was baptized oh and did I mention how the Jews and the Greeks referred to the desert and to Ethiopia they thought it was the end of the earth everything in God's plan fell perfectly into place did Philip have any special talents? Scripture doesn't say so. Did he have any special abilities? Was he a great preacher? Maybe. But what we do know is what? He was obedient. He was willing to go. And he was willing to share as he was going. He just kept pointing people to Jesus. In case you haven't heard... God is always bigger. God always has a plan. A plan that involves people like you and I. A plan that we can engage in. A plan that allows us that same joy of seeing people's life changed as Philip experienced. Are you one of those people? that wants to engage in that plan? Are you willing to accept that challenge of the Great Commission? Are you ready to go? You don't have to. I mean, we, what did we put up there? We put up four trips, Haiti, Costa Rica, Mexico, Dominican Republic. You don't have to go to any of those places. You got a mission field right in front of you. You got a mission field where you work. You got a mission field where you shop. You got a mission field where you play golf or tennis or what is it, pickleball? Is that what it is? I haven't done that, as you can tell. The mission field's everywhere. I'd love for you to go on one of these trips. I'd love more for you to be the witness as you are going. Let's pray together. Father, what an amazing God you are that... Uh, 
you obviously can accomplish anything and everything without a thought about us. But for whatever reason, your greatest desire is that we would be a part of what you're doing, of your plan, and of your plan to save the world through, the, through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to put our anxieties behind us. Help us to put our fears away and to fall in line with the plan that you have for us that's always bigger and always better. Lord, if there's anyone here today that has never surrendered to you as their Lord and Savior, I, I pray that even through this message about witnessing that they have seen the extent of your love and how far you're willing to go to reach them, to reach one individual. And Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they surrender everything and give their heart to you. Lord, for those that are here that, that know you and love you, and help us, to, help us to go into this world determined to make a difference by pointing people to Jesus. Help us to be the disciples that you've called us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name.